Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg Diary of a Visionary The following passages have been taken from the private journal of illustrious 19th century explorer Francois Hulot and have been published in accordance with his great-great-great-grandchildren's request to expunge all entries alluding to travels with fawns, fairies, or little green men. Friday, 1st, March, 1803. Warm and sunny. The land out here is beautiful and would make a lovely homestead. It reminds me of Josephine and the life we're to make together after my return. Months ago, I sent her an express asking for her hand in marriage. I've yet to receive a response, and so I continue to wait in anticipation. Oh, how I miss her fairness, her tender words, her familiar embrace. The trail we forge out here in this serene yet unforgiving wilderness is a lonely one. We carry with us more than provisions across this rugged terrain. Heartache and misery have added to the weight. Though I seek solace in her promise and fill empty hours with the remembrance we will soon be reunited. Wednesday, 11th, March, 1803. We set out early this morning under a hard breeze from the southwest, which is making a nuisance of the porcelain wind chimes we traded for at a post opposite the Otter Hare Landing, a trial that could have been avoided had the men not spotted them as we were leaving. All in health, their begging lasted the greater part of an hour until I surrendered. But not before a deal was struck. Only one gill of whiskey per day for a week and no dances for a month. Though the party is scarce of women, the men do love their contra dances. The party agreed to the terms. Their spirits now are higher than ever, but hunting has proven a noisy chore. This morning, we breakfast on a medley of grasses, flaxseed, and splinters from the fore of our boat. Still, amidst the trials, my thoughts remain faithfully with Josephine and her loveliness, which I find in spring's newly arrived radiance, in the cool evening breeze rising from the river bank, or the ample contours of an occasional smooth boulder which I caress in stolen rests along the trail, or the dewy moss of a tree knot that's just asking to be bed. And in these silent and solitary, almost religious moments with nature, I am lost in the thought of her angelic nethers and the carnal appetite that swells in my loins. A paltry glory, I realize, but man, have I got an itch. And it seems to be spreading, possibly the result of a private afternoon with an old but discreet cedar tree that was plagued with an unidentified three-leafed growth. Monday, 27th, March, 1803. A fair morning. We have been burdened by hail, thunder, and lightning for several days. Yesterday, however, we reached Fort Lanier. The men are in much need of rest, but spirits are high. They spent the afternoon sitting in a circle, drying their boots and darning their socks. Naturally, there is an embittered air that lays heavy on my tongue. Dawkins has conceived of a game in which a participant chooses to perform an action or answer a question truthfully, typically of an embarrassing nature. It is a riotous display. 
though I can't help but imagine a heightened level of enjoyment if the game were played in the presence of women. Perhaps the opportunity will present itself tomorrow evening as we set out in the morning heading west, ten bodies stronger. Sunday, 8th, April, 1803. We began our forge through the vast Mackmaw territory. The new members of our party are proceeding very well and have already proven themselves invaluable, especially the women, whose fairness is a welcome sight as most of the men look rather cheap in the goat hair wigs they guilted me into trading for earlier on the trail. At two elk hides per wig, it was a costly exchange, and in more ways than one, as I asked the Shannon boys to be my brides and join Josephine and myself on our homestead. All gussied up with floral crowns and close shaves, the ceremony was lovely, but now, in the presence of our new clean-limbed party members, our journey has been made an awkward one, filled with tension. Still, the boys are committed to making it work. Tuesday, 10th, April, 1803. Sunny with a cold breeze from the southeast. The women are exceeding expectations. Several of them are quite skilled in woodmaking and fishing. One of them even carved an eating utensil with several prongs around the edge of a spoon to pierce and cutlery fashioned into the handle. It is a clever and ingenious invention. Josephine would find great comfort in their company and knowledge in their skill. Last night I awoke to a startling encounter with a snake after it entered my bed and worked its way up the leg of my trousers. Thankfully, Cora, one of the party sent from Fort Lanier, heard my screams and ran to my aid. She's a fierce and valiant woman with a broad and powerful build. She wrestled the snake from my trousers for the greater part of a half hour until it receded back into the darkness. And although she claims she never saw what I'm now believing, based on my records, was a one-eyed toad snake, it was the best night's rest I've had since St. Louis. Her thoroughness reminds me of Josephine, my love, and her lackluster efforts. That is why I've asked Cora to join me, Josephine and the Shannon boys, at the homestead after our return. I imagine the farm would benefit from such resourcefulness, specifically Cora's strong yet surprisingly effective grip in the face of trouser snakes. I imagine the five of us could have a lively time burning the midnight oil with a couple of stripped cedars and maybe an oak. Friday, May 12th, 1803. A fine morning. A party of ten men and ten women set out in the after part of dawn for a fishing expedition and returned with many cats and bass, five rock, 46 red horse, and one tire fish. Unfortunately, no boots or empty cans. Last night we took part in a ceremony given by the Mackmaw Nation, whose blessing we require before continuing our object. The ceremony will continue today with a hunt on horseback, and what we're told is an exhilarating afternoon leatherworks course, and we'll conclude tonight with a spirit dance that will hopefully involve communication with Private Hopwood, who died over the winter after consuming an alarming number of minted snow cones. Last night's fire ceremony was led by Chief Chinichcook, it was quite enlightening. The chief presented us with ten carrots of tobacco that were like nothing we had ever smoked before. By the end of the night, the entire party was in a half-foggy, half-focused state of elation and relaxation, and during which they spoke at great, seemingly unending lengths on the surprisingly entertaining subject of cultivating barley and how it's like growing wheat, but not really, but it is if you kind of think about it. They also developed a ravenous appetite, but oddly not at first. 
Dawkins was placed in charge of the provisions and luckily only had to fend off and kill nine party members and three warriors. Saturday, 13th, May, 1803. A sunny morning. The chief's daughter is a heavenly, striking, and soft-spoken creature. Her name is Little Bluish Green Eyes. I stumbled upon her after last night's spirit dance, in the lateness of the hour as she was taking bath in a spring. The moon cascaded across her back and the ripples in the water, as the steam rising from the surface provided her a most maddening veil of modesty. I entered as much air into my lungs as they could contain, and gave a series of short breaths from the cover of a deciduous burning bush and viburnum, trying to rid the area of its infernal steam. With both hands affixed to a strong oak limb and both feet planted firmly on the ground, a weak twig from the viburnum in front of me was snapped and alerted her to my being there. She was frightened, but her nerves settled when she recalled my humorously familiar face as my eyebrows were singed in a striping pattern during Thursday night's fire ceremony. With the chief's permission, I asked the fair little bluish green eyes to join our party for the purpose of setting the peace with the fighting tribes. In addition, I have supplied her with a tent next to mine and have asked her to join myself, Cora, the Shannon boys, and what's-her-name on what will surely be a diverse and loving homestead. Sunday, 3rd, June, 1803. The party returned with Smith this morning under a breeze from the southeast after three days of tracking the deserter. He had stolen and taken with him powder and ball and a rifle shot pouch, one canoe, six beaver pelts, ample provisions, and several wind chimes, which the party took particularly personally. We sentenced him to run the gauntlet three times through the party as they punished him by casting discouraging words about his appearance and made savage comments about his stingy hoarding of eagle quills and his annoying refusal to choose action in Dawkins' game. Monday, 30th, July, 1803. After setting sail last week and navigating the limestone islands and the rapid Colbot Pass through the 90-foot-high graystone bluffs, we arrived at Floyd's Landing. While the men were offloading the cargo, I sighted through my spyglass a woman in mourning. She was a pitiful, crestfallen creature, draped in black with a bouquet of purple wildflowers and was observed shuffling about in the street. Looking past her doleful disposition, I could see she had the most magnificent life springing from her porcelain skin and her golden hair, which sought freedom from the ties of her dreary bonnet. And although a crass, possibly boorish object on my part, she was a flower as fresh and new as the ones in her hands, which my accounts identify as a variety of funeral, and in the opinion of this amateur botanist, were just real nice. She had to be picked, so I regaled my hair with a sweet-smelling styling sap produced by Doc Finney and introduced myself. Her name is Mitty, and I'm told by our new recruits that she's quite the cut-up, though our first meeting was rather dismal and agonizingly idle. This is why, after doing away with her sorrowful bouquet that seemed to be biting the comely creature to her sad and in all likelihood most unsatisfying past, I offered Mitty emotional sanctuary in our party, as well as a humble dwelling on the homestead and a seat in my exciting heartland harem. She will join Cora, Little Bluish Green Eyes, Abigail, a bundle of dogwoods, Lucy and Libby, Moonshadow, 
a party of amorous, feral, yak-haired wildings we stumbled upon and embraced, Mamie, Etta, the Shannon boys, and of course, my sweet and fair Josephine, whose love and promise has provided me with strength and comfort during this long and lonesome journey. production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scovel. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at casualfridaypodcast.org or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com. <laughs>